the Payments Podium podcast hosted by the payments professor himself, Kevin Olson. This podcast discusses the past, present, and the possibilities of the payments industry. Here's the show. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Payments Podium with the Payments Professor. This is the Payments Podium is where we discuss all the relevant topics that are happening in the large world of electronic payments. We invite professionals in the industry to come to the podium to be able to take the podium and to discuss the topics, the items, the happenings in the payments world that they find to be relevant. Now, today's episode, we have Rich Oliver on the line. Hey, Rich, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Kevin. Thank you. Uh, Rich, for the listeners, if you don't mind, can we get just maybe a short couple of minute bio of, of all the things you've done in payments? And I know that's asking a lot, but what would you say are the main things that you have co- contributed in your career to the payments industry? Well, interestingly enough, when I was a young whippersnapper, barely working out of graduate school, I got the opportunity to be the first ACH administrator in the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. So I got in on the ground floor of ACH when it was just uh, beginning to come to life during the Social Security direct deposit era and the spread of ACH associations across the country. And that sort of started me off in the electronic payments world. Uh, Later on in my career, I got to come back and be the Federal Reserve's product manager for ACH and wire transfer for a period of years. And during that uh, stint, we actually created the all-electronic ACH. We connected every financial institution in the country to it and are still to the clearinghouse and created a ubiquitous ACH network. Then uh, in the late uh, 90s, I had the opportunity to become the Federal Reserve National uh, Retail Payment Product Manager, which means I had national responsibility, profit loss, and everything, both checks and ACH services across the country. And during that period, uh, we ran into a lot of things. That was the time frame when the Tech Truncation Act was passed, and we went through a process of, uh, of actually closing down all of our paper processing check shops while implementing image nationwide. Uh, and in the ACH arena, we expanded our ACH services considerably with a variety of services, including cross-border opportunities in several countries, and the implementation long before Anacha got to it of the same day ACH product for our customers. So we had an opportunity to be involved in a whole lot of change, particularly in the ACH area. Uh, and, and finally, in my last year at the Fed, I had the opportunity to create a little organization called the Retail Payments Risk Forum, where we did uh, research on a weekly basis, producing uh, blogs and so forth to talk about risk fraud and so forth in the payment system. And during that time, we actually got all the people in mobile payments together in the room, along with my colleagues at Boston, and wrote a definitive paper, the first ever big paper about mobile payments in the United States. So uh, I've had an opportunity to be involved in some really exciting things and still keep my head in the business going around speaking and doing strategic planning uh, sessions for institutions. Well, well, Rich, even as a short bio, that's one heck of a bio. <laughs> you, you, it sounds like you've done a heck of a lot in payments. There's no doubt about it. Now, I've been blessed to be in the right place at the right time. 
I understand that quite well. And we, I do thank you for being on here today with us. Now on the payments podium, the professor likes to look at the three P's of payments. And the three P's of payments are the past, the present, and the possibilities. We would like to be able to investigate and see, you know, what happened in the past that has got us to where we are now, the present. And then in the present, where are we at? What are we doing when it comes to electronic payments? And then the possibilities, where can this lead? What will we see happening in payments? And from what you said, you know, going through your bio here, starting in the past, you said you were the first ACH product manager. What was it like in those early days of ACH? Well, it was interesting. Uh, when we brought in the Social Security Direct Deposit, actually we did Air Force Direct Deposit before that in the pilot program. And then in the state of Georgia, we were the pilot also for the Social Security Direct Deposit program. Even as we were still nurturing a fledgling commercial payment ACH operation, it was door-to-door stuff, Kevin. I mean, we actually went out and visited every single bank in Georgia who was going to receive social security payments. And you had to try to explain to people what this mechanism was, uh, was how it worked, and how electronics were uh, going to be starting to replace uh, paper payments, in particular checks. So it was a ground-up, pick-and-shovel, educational-type opportunity, along with the effort to create and build a piece of software that would do all of the processing and sorting and delivery and so on. So it was really uh, uh, an interesting process of education, to say the least. You said you had to go visit all these people and you had to go, you know, kind of, I'd say, handhold them. Well, what year was this? Because was this, you know, prior to the internet, prior to even email? Oh, yes. It was definitely that time frame. We're talking about the uh, early 70s here. We're talking about 73, 74 in particular. Uh, when Social Security direct deposit came into place. So, yes, this was long before all of that. It was telephones and uh, tires on the road. Telephones and tires on the road. So you were, but you were really introducing a whole new concept in payments that had never been done before in the United States, right? That is correct. It started in 1972 with uh, an operation in California. Uh-huh. A bunch of uh, bankers. It was, that operation, by the way, was called... Uh, uh, scope, the Special Committee on Paperless Entries, and uh, the bankers in Georgia decided it was a great idea, and they created COPE, just a committee on uh, paperless entries, and we began the process of gearing up in Georgia to follow California's lead into the world of what has in essence become ACH. That is fascinating. Now, okay, I know in launching new products, uh, I haven't done it as long as you have, but I've experienced, you know, there can be some hiccups, some things happen unexpectedly. When you guys first launched ACH, how did everything go? Did it go without problem or were there any issues? Of course it didn't go without problems. (laughs) The interesting thing was uh, most of the financial institutions had no ability to connect with us. Only the very biggest banks. And and with them, we weren't even on computer to computer yet. It was, we're going to deliver you a magnetic tape with all the data on it. The morning we did the first Social Security direct deposit test, it was sort of a prelim. We had to basically print out paper listings of the payments and send those to financial institutions for posting. 
And the way that we had in place to send them was to use check couriers. So basically, we printed out a bag full of paper listings to all the banks in Georgia that were going to receive the first Social Security payments. And after much education and briefings, we put them up in the dispatch room where the checks are dispatched. And we came in that first morning and that bag was still sitting there. Oh my. <laughs> and, and because it was such a critical thing, uh, we actually put on extra courier routes during that day on an immediate basis and had them go back out to all the banks over Georgia with, with their paper social security listings. So there were always growing pains. When we first started to connect people to us electronically, we built an application to run on a, on a PC and connect them to us via PC link to our mainframes. And basically we had all kinds of issues there. People who, who took the software they were supposed to uh, insert into the machine, which was on three diskettes. We had one person put all three diskettes in the slot at the same time. Uh, and, and it was, you know, it's all those growing pains of people dealing not just with conceptual issues, but with new technology that they weren't familiar with. Wow. And, you know, one of the things that we try to do here on the podium, too, is to enlighten the people that are new to the industry that are just coming in. And I think you mentioned a few things that might actually throw them off. I need a quick drink. So I heard you correctly. You said that you had couriers that actually went out to every one of the banks. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, we're talking about uh, quick little airplane plane jumps, let's say, to South Georgia, uh, and then hooking up with trucks or trucks coming out of the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta and going out to all the banks around the state who are receiving ACA payments. And so they were delivered. Yeah. And something we definitely don't do now, you also mentioned diskettes, which is, you know, in computer technology. I, I remember what it was like in the early days, but, you know, now we have USB drives that can hold thousands of what we had on diskettes. Well, you know, before we had uh, all of that and before we had uh, uh, CDs, uh, we had floppy disks that went into people's microcomputers and had word processing software that was loaded and stuff like that. So it was the base technology magnetic tapes because the technology in the early 70s for mainframe computers was to run magnetic tapes. And that was the number one media of choice. Not too long after that, we began to establish computer to computer linkages with the biggest banks and move beyond the magnetic tapes. But that is exactly how it started. Well, just to make sure that our our listeners out there get a picture of what you're describing, when you say magnetic tape, you're talking about those big reels, uh, you know, like an old movie used to be on film through a projector, those big reels of magnetic tape that would go on a computer to be able to hold all of this account information. That's right. It was like 10 or 12 inch wide uh, reels that were wow. mounted on computers and, and what they call tape drives. And, then and, we, sto and stored, by the way, in these huge tape facilities for record keeping. Well, we definitely have come a long way. There's one more thing in the past I want to ask you about, because I want to make sure it's clear and understood that in the early days of ACH, you even said there was still a lot of paper and that one of your jobs that you had was actually getting ACH to be all electronic. How long did it take to get to where you progressed ACH to the point of being all electronic? Well, I mentioned this thing uh, with Social Security Direct Deposit and local ACH started in about 73. 
1978, there were ACH operations all around the country and ACH associations that work with Federal Reserve Banks and two or three private operators to provide ACH operations. It was in the late 70s into 1980 that we began the process of saying, okay, we need to stop sending out all this paper. And I believe it was in 1980 that we in the Federal Reserve, and I was the product manager then, proposed to the banks that we were going to move to an all-electronic ACH by connecting them all up to us, either by computer links with the larger banks or with uh, computerization to a, a mini computer or microcomputer located in their facilities that they would purchase and we would set up software and, and do that sort of thing. And it was a, uh, I want to say, I can't remember whether we took three years or five years to complete that conversion because we're talking literally back then about eight or 10,000 financial institutions that we had to do. So it was a huge uh, labor of love to get this done. And some of the reactions to it were kind of over, over the edge. I had a banker in South Dakota send me a letter that said he had survived said their bank had been in place for 150 years and he survived droughts, tornadoes, and Indian wars, but he couldn't outlast me in my efforts to electronify ACH. And so he was going to sell the bank and get out of the business. <laughs> so it met the end to banking, right? <laughs> you got it. It was a quite, a, it was quite a deal, but it was, it was a huge deal. And once we were able to achieve that, that opened the doors to a much more robust ACH environment where timeframes could be managed better, uh, schedules could be shorter, and so forth, because everything was happening electronically. Well, and you know, that's a great way to go because, you know, again, we want to talk about the past and then how does it really relate to the present? And just going through your career, I, I think we can see that's happening because here we are focused on ECH and I would like to, you know, get to the point where we talk about what's happening now and in uh, the future of payments with faster payments. But you talked about implementing ACH. You talked about getting ACH to go all electronic. You even mentioned a little bit about check truncation and cross border. What really were the reasons for getting these new products, these new services out there? I mean, what benefit does it give to a financial institution or even to, you know, the person on the street to have this capability? Well, I, I think one of the things we always tried to deal with was creating a more timely payment system. Even in those early days, you know, the term faster payments is being used today, but the check system was too slow. Businesses who wanted to pay their employees, businesses who wanted to collect money from their customers. In the early days, we were talking about insurance companies there, and then a huge uh, push uh, in the uh, workout facilities uh, business, the fitness centers and so forth, who you know wanted to sign people up to monthly contracts and that, but people never paid them, so they wanted to go to direct debit. And so the need was being driven by businesses at one end of the spectrum. And then eventually at the other end, particularly for received credit payments like payrolls and Social Security by consumers who began to realize that that was a more, a more secure type of payment and a payment that allowed them to not have to go out and go to the bank and deposit a check when it was inconvenient or when they were sick or when it was snowing or when there was a big problem in the environment. Uh, it was a much more efficient way to go about it. So those became the drivers. 
And when we got in the check business, obviously we were clearing billions of checks a day. Uh, and we were trying to figure out how to do that more efficiently without airplanes and, and so forth. And actually, even before Congress passed the Check Truncation Act in 2003, even before then, the Federal Reserve was delivering about 25% of its checks uh, via one some sort of an image connection one way or the other. So there was this constant push uh, to improve the efficiency of the system. Uh, and to create better opportunities for both the senders of payments and receivers of payments. Wow. I think that's all fascinating. Now, my next question would be is, let's go into the present now. And I believe, and when working with people that are new in the industry, people that are seeing that we are going to, you know, the real-time payments. We are hearing the Fed talk about real-time growth settlement systems. We're seeing it happen in other countries. And it is something that is now here in the States. Do you believe from your career, what you've done with ACH, what you saw happen with checks, does it relate at all to what we're seeing happen now in our current environment? Sure, I think it's a continuation of the evolutionary process to continue to move to more efficient, more effective, faster payments alternatives. And I, and I think it's interesting because when we talk about the terms faster payments today that we see going on, it's really a spectrum of things that, that run from same-day interactions such as not just same-day ACH to more real-time interactions such as the clearinghouse's real-time payment system to some of what the Fed is now talking about with real-time gross settlement. Uh, we've always wanted to move in that direction. And, and it brings with it you know, the benefits of helping people deal with last minute payments, of bringing hourly payments into the ACH world because the cutoff time is now a good one for hourly payments, of helping people who forgot to pay their power bills stop from having their power turned off. And there's lots of demand there uh, across the spectrum. I think with that, though, comes concerns. For instance, in today's uh, payments world, in which we're trying to move to more real time, you hear issues raised about security and fraud. Back when we were doing ACH on a two-day basis, we used to talk about temporal risk, which was the risk that occurs when a payment is, in essence, in flight. The time between when it's inserted into the system by a originating financial institution till the time it's posted to the customer's account at the receiving financial institution People used to worry that there was time for that payment to be altered by bad people who might intercept it along the way. Now, today we hear people concerned that with real-time payments, there is precious little time for the receiver of the payment to verify that this is a valid account and, and uh, that we have uh, uh, you know, all types of uh, uh, controls in place to deal with things that are happening in a period of seconds as opposed to minutes or hours. So there's trade-offs here, but I think this is a continuation of the evolutionary trend. The interesting question I have is, are we now ahead of the demand curve? And, and, and that's the, an issue that I've started to speak about publicly. We're in a strategic situation now where I see people building things and saying, I'm going to build it and they will come, but they're not necessarily coming as fast as we'd like to. So uh, we're, we're in a great place in the payment system, but it's a place with with lots of moving parts. You know, I, I definitely want to talk about that curve too, but can, can we talk a little bit more on the security and fraud? 
because I know that that is one of the biggest issues. All the financial institutions are looking at, from what I'm hearing, at least out on the street, two things. One, where is the, the money to be made in this? I mean, am I going to be able to make any money on this? There's a lot, a big price tag that comes with a lot of these services. Some, not all at least. And where am I going to get my money back? And then two, it is the risk and the fraud. And I'm out there speaking right now, doing a session called Gone in 60 Seconds that deals with the fraud happening faster and takes a look at what's happening in other countries. And you mentioned also with ACH, there came temporal risk. Do you really see any brand new risk that is going to come with faster payments other than that limited time to verify? I don't, I don't think there's any other new ones that are inherent that are any different than what we've had before. Uh, a lot of the risk that's associated with payments has almost nothing to do with the clearing system that's being used, but it has a lot to do with the types of controls and preparation that are done on the front end to stop bad players from using systems to uh, their benefit. For example, for many years, we used to hear about something in the ACH world called account takeover. Well, that came about when bad guys went into the, a small business's computer that they were going to originate payrolls on, let's say. And they, they basically stole possession of that computer on an overnight basis and were able to go in and change the payment files before they were being sent. So I think those things still exist. I think the faster payments thing introduces the issue of being able to do fraud and risk checks faster and to look for ways to make sure the payments are valid. But I don't see uh, other types of, of risk necessarily introduced by speed. I, I have to agree with you. I, I think that all we really are seeing is a faster method for fraudsters to move money once they have manipulated the person or infiltrated the account, which whatever their methods for uh, getting in there and getting started are. And again, I, you know, in the session I do, I talk about what we've seen in other countries who are ahead of us as far as what is happening in faster payments. But you, you also mentioned, are we ahead of the curve? And, you know, I, I think this is a great point to let's transition into what are the possibilities, what is happening in the world of electronic payments. You know, it is faster payments, but there's other things happening too. And what can we expect to see in the future? So, again, are we ahead of the curve? And you mentioned the, the roads being built uh, once in a conversation with me in Texas, that how they are able to build roads before people actually populate them. But yeah. are we doing that now in payments? Well, I think so. I'm doing a session uh, in the near future called, you know, Build It and They Will Come or Will They. And it has to do with what I see particularly happening at the point of sale. The point of sale is perhaps uh, the most interesting place today in electronic payments because we see uh, a confluence of change occurring there. We saw the introduction of the chip cards that are now having to be used at the point of sale. There are now discussions going on about the use of contactless chip cards, which the major card brands are beginning to talk about releasing, where you just tap the card and go instead of insert it and go. We see success in the mobile payment area at places like Starbucks and so forth using QR codes uh, as their security mechanism as opposed to near-field communication, which is the technology used when you do tap and go with something. Uh, we see... Uh, concerns over whether or not some of that should be done in the cloud, 
And so at the point of sale, we have all these issues about what's the technology on the card? What's the technology and mobile payments that's being used on the phone? What should I accept or not accept? How am I going to get all that implemented? Do I build it all out first and hope that people use it? And some places did. Retailers like Home Depot, Walgreens, and everything can accept almost anything. But if you read the media today, you know they're not necessarily getting a lot of people doing tap and go. They're not getting the type of volumes coming to mobile payments that everybody expected at first. And I think what that says to us is we've moved the technology and capabilities. We've built the roads for things people as yet are not don't have a big demand for. You know, people tend to get pretty happy with the things that they have, that they know how they work. That's how checks stayed around so long. And that's why there's still probably 15 billion checks out there in the payments world every year. And so it's not surprising to me the pace at which it changes, particularly for the older generations of people that say, I'm perfectly happy dipping this card in here. There's no need for me to tap my phone against anything. So we're in a period of great change. And I think the positive side of that is that there has been no other time in history when we've had so many options available to the consumers to pay for things. And I think that's a good thing. I, I have to agree. I, I think that, you know, we are at a great point in, in payments history, without a doubt. And I really do appreciate those comments. And as, as we're getting here to the end and about to close out, you said you've got a session, build it and they will come. Where in the future, you know, it's going to probably be fourth quarter coming up here soon. Will people be able to attend this session? Are, are you doing it at conferences uh, for regional associations for NACHA? Uh, how can we find out more on that? I'm actually speaking at the NACHA payments conference uh, on May the 5th, I think is where this session is going. And, and, and in that session, I'll talk about some of the change forces and, you know, economics of payments is certainly one of them. And build it, and they will come. Build it, and they will come. Gets in the face of economics, because you wonder when am I going to make any money on any of this stuff, or do I make money in different kinds of ways by beginning to charge for new things again? And so we'll we'll see this torturous trail of trying to combine the evolution of payments with the economics of payments, and we'll have to see over time how that uh, how that works out for such a wide and diverse range of players in, in the famous world today. Well, well that, that is great. And that's a great way to close. I, I want to say, Rich, thank you so much for being on. For all of you out there, uh, this has been the, the Payments Podium where we've had Rich Oliver as our guest speaker. And I hope that you saw at least what I saw. And that is, Rich talked a lot about his history in payments and what he's been able to do and how a lot of it equates to directly to what we saw with other payment channels and how we have seen the development of ACH. And I think a lot of that directly is going to equate to what we're going through today. You can learn a lot about your past and from the past, it does become your present. And what's happening in the future of payments? Well, it's really endless. I hope to hear from you guys in your comments. You can always email Kevin at paymentsprofessor.com or you can send a message on LinkedIn to me and I'd be glad to hear about any future topics you would want to have in any future sessions. Thank you for listening. 
Thank you for listening to the Payments Podium Podcast. Check back every Thursday for a conversation with the Payments Professor. This podcast is hosted and produced by Kevin Olson and edited by Sam Sue Smith. See you on Thursday.